This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Firminger, and today I'm very happy and a little bit terrified to welcome Karen Lamb and Elfina Luck to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I don't like being scared. I don't like horror. Or at least I didn't think I did until I was introduced to the oeuvre that is the charred body of work of filmmaker Karen Lamb. Because Karen's work feature films like Evangeline, series like Doll Parts and Mythos, and short works like Stained and Chiral and The Meeting, unsettles the viewer while also weirdly empowering them? I don't like, I don't feel taken advantage of. I don't feel traumatized. I don't feel exploited. I feel intrigued and empowered and, yes, disturbed, but in like the healthy disturbed way. If you want to learn more about Karen's background and aesthetic, growing up in the prairies, loving cats and knitting and horror and metal, you can find a link to her previous podcast appearance in the footnotes for this episode. Karen's latest feature film is The Curse of Willow Song, and it's screening this month and next as part of the 2020 Vancouver International Film Festival, which will present films online and in person because we're still in the pandemic, because I'm hoping maybe you're listening in the future and the pandemic is done. Anyway, it's still the pandemic and we're actually going to have some in-person screenings. The Curse of Willow Song tells the story of Willow, played by Valerie Tian a young woman recently released from prison who must choose between her dangerous but honest new life on the streets and her former gang life and the nightmares that have plagued her since childhood. Willow's gang life returns in the form of Danny, played by the gloriously talented Elfina Luck, a real estate agent and partner to Willow's dangerous brother who invites Willow to serve as caretaker in a spooky-as-fuck warehouse. And it is in the warehouse where we see the true power of Willow's haunted mind. The Curse of Willow song feels different than other Karen Lamb films. First of all, there's references to systemic racism in the form of a white parole officer played by Amanda Burke, who can't figure out why Asian people give their kids names like Willow and Mission, as well as in a delicious and pointed speech by Alfina about how the system is built on white people terms. How they're happy when Asians open greasy spoons or laundromats, but show their racism when Asian Canadians succeed. Or, as Danny says, we didn't come here because we're stupid. We came here because we're smart. It's perhaps the most political of Karen's films, while also startlingly beautiful. It's all shot in black and white. It's gorgeous and scary as fuck. Oh, guys, you can swear in the podcast. I forgot to mention that. So today we're going to talk about all of that. And we are going to try to figure out what is going on in Karen Lamb's mind. Karen Lamb, Elfina Luck, 
Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. You can talk now. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Sabrina. Thank you for having us. Oh, closer to the mic so we can hear you. Um, I've. I mean, we are still in the age of COVID. It's a itself a a horror story, Um, and I've been beginning all of my interviews during the pandemic, asking from my heart, "How are you? How are you doing?" Uh, this is Karen, and I feel <laughs> um, weirdly relaxed. I think it's the first time um, in many, many, many years where I haven't felt the need to um, be getting work, be pitching for work, mm. and just kind of like, I just feel like this has been a, a, a nice kind of mental break in a, in a strange way, even though it's horrific in many ways. And it's the slowest apocalypse I ever, I thought there'd be more zombies. Mm. I thought I would have like a nail studded bat. I thought that I'd be able to, you know, basically essentially have a purge, but no, it's been kind of just quiet. You've been making socks. I mean, I follow you on <laughs> on the Instagram and you've been making beautiful lace socks. Thank you. Yeah, yes. that's yeah. so no, so no. I mean, you could also use your crafty skills and make a bat, put some nails in a bat. Like I think so, but you know, the, the lace socks are benign. I'm not even skinning Muppets at this point. You know what I mean? Like wow. there's no fuzzy sweaters. It's just socks. I think that's what I can handle mentally. It's very telling. Yeah. Very telling. How about you, Alfina? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I think that for myself and our family, it was, like you said, Karen, a much needed break. But amongst the ebb and flows of the chaos and the fear and the learning and the, you know, the ever changing information and the plethora of information, mm. there's been a lot of like needing to pull back and retreat into thyself. And what is it we actually need in this moment outside of the self-care and, you know, being mindful about our health. Um, we were able to slow down. And I guess at this point, the intention is to how can we carry that moving forward regardless of where we end up after, you know, outside post pandemic. Yeah. Can we carry that, you know, that balance with us? I don't want to lose that. And that's the thing that I keep, that keeps slowing me down. I don't want to jump back into it because it wasn't ideal. Yeah. So it it was a break and I'm very grateful for that. There's a lot of things I'm grateful for. Yeah. Well, we're not quite at the point where we're jumping back into things, right? So we'll have a, a little bit more time to figure out what the after is going to look like. But in the midst of it, we're launching a feature film. Like I said, we like, I'm part of it. We're launching a feature film. But I've been so excited about Willow Song for so long. You know me for the last like two years. I've been like, hey, when's Willow Song going to be done? Well, that was a good question because yeah. I had the same question <laughs> since uh, we filmed it in 2000, in the spring of 2018. And what? it was um, edited really fast. And then um, there's something about CGI that actually, like, once you're creating a, a monster of any sort in, in post, that takes the longest time. So, um, what are the, the, I always talk about the, the three things you can have. Uh, good price you can have things quickly or you can have things cheaply and you can't have all three so for Mm. us it was always we'll we'd rather wait and and get a good thing done than you know basically try to rush this thing and so it took a a, i think a year just for our our monster to get created and then after that everything sound design the um the composing all, all the the score that came way faster but 
it was creating the monster. What do we want this thing to look like? You know, <laughs> and, it's, and I mean, we will be um, we'll be light on spoilers. Hmm. I think we'll try to be light on spoilers because yeah. you know I don't want. Uh, to ruin, not that you can ruin a film like this, though. It's really. in the trailer, so you know? <laughs> yeah, like they, can, they can see it. So. I mean, but there, there, there is a monster for sure. But I haven't seen a monster that looks like this particular monster. It's terrifying. Thank you. Um, but I like before we get into like the nitty gritty of 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 the who's and the what's and the whys and all of that. You you are launching a film though during. COVID um, and you're launching I mean we, you said it's like it's like the, the slow moving apocalypse right like what is how do you think COVID and existing in this kind of apocalyptic world is going to impact how people experience your film is this a is it a benefit because <laughs> people can connect to the fact that the that the world is completely fucked up or, or do you think it's a disservice you know what um, I think that if the film came out the way that I had envisioned, 2019, you know, we're doing this thing, it would have felt like a film out of time. It mm. didn't feel like it was speaking to anything. In fact, when I wrote it, it was more or less in a, like a half trance state. So I think like all the discussions we ha we've had on white systemic racism, all the things that we've had about COVID dreams and being isolated and all of the themes that are in the film, they've come into life now, mm. not not in 2019. If it had come up, people would have been like, well, what is this, right? So in a lot of ways that everything about the film actually fits now, but I didn't know that back then. I was yeah, just impatient. You were a so. woman out of time. Well, whatever was dictating it to me, because I, I, I never take that much ownership over the creative part. I just feel like you're sort of channeling. You're, whatever's happening is just kind of bubbling up and you're like, okay, I'm going to put this down and we'll see where it goes. And, you know, I, I said that to Alfina in the, I think in, in when we were on set, it was like, well, if this doesn't work, we'll cut it in, in editing. It'll, we'll say it and then we'll see if, if it lands. But um, I... I think that it is, it's come out at a time when it's supposed to come out. And mm. I've now, I think that's part of my pandemic lesson as well, which is I have way less control than I thought I did. I don't have any control. That's the, the biggest learning curve, which is, wow, if the planet wants us dead, it wants us dead. Okay, let's see where we're, like, how do we change at this point? And um, as compared to thinking that I am the master of my destiny, I'm the master of nothing. I'm not even the master of socks, to be honest. So it's like definitely not the master <laughs> of my cats. Oh, I, my God, you're so not the master of your cats. No, my, my <laughs> I'm, their, I'm their, their human servant. I think that's all I do is like, yeah, they, they demand things. I I'm going to. I'm going to do this interview a bit out of order, I think, because I want like I usually be like, what's the inspiration for your film and what are the challenges? But like, I totally using that voice as well. But I just I, <laughs> I, I do reference that speech, Elfina, that your your character makes uh, to to Willow, um, where she's talking about, you know, like pretty much talking about systemic racism and and white supremacy and what it what it means to be, you know, uh, the model minority and, a you know, a, a, a person of color, you know, and then and then kind of pushing back against what they ex expect of us. Like, what was your I guess what was your reaction to that material? And, you know, like, what did you what did it feel like to say those words? Yeah, that's a really good question. And we kind of chatted about it. And this is a testament to your writing, your channeling uh, with the words. It, it was a it was a big chunk of script. Um, but honestly, to be very honest, when I read it, it f just flowed and it actually 
probably was so much easier than I thought hmm. when I actually spoke the words. And in a way, it was somewhat liberating because it's it's kind of information that kind of goes through your head. You know, growing up in this Western country, my uh, um, mom came from Hong Kong and my dad did as well. So there was a culture clash inside our home. So I just feel like when I came to the material, it was written so well that there wasn't a lot of thought or anything. It was a part of me that's kind of been dormant that I got to just speak out. Not that that's kind of how I'm walking around in the world, but there's a bit of knowing in that area yeah. just from growing up here and what I've had to receive from others, what I've witnessed. And so to speak those words to her in that way, because she's, you know, my little sister and I'm trying to let her know what the, what's really happening. It was like there was so much passion that actually came out of that yeah. on its own that I was really grateful to be able to actually say those words and they were kept so in the film. I cried. Yeah, yeah I, I actually because I, 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 I felt I felt it. You know, and I, I felt the, um, and I didn't expect to cry, you know, because like, I expect to be terrified, you know, or, and to be angry and to watch David Lewis die, um, which uh, that's one spoiler. Uh, well, maybe it's not. D David Lewis, as in every Caroline project, goes through some stuff in this film. I think that's that's fair to say. Uh, but yeah, I didn't expect, I didn't, and I think you're right, Karen, when you talk about this film being perfect for this age, you know, where I, I've been thinking about the ways that, you know, white supremacy uh, has informed my experience of life and then watching my dad, especially as a brown man, you know, try to maneuver to be the model minority, to maneuver, you know, rules that he didn't, that he didn't set up. You know, and yet to succeed, he has to play by those. He has had to play by those rules until he said, fuck it. And then he built his own company, you know, <laughs> and, and that's when when awesome things uh, started to really happen. And then, you know, people aren't always happy when you when you build your own thing. Um, Karen. Yes. Where did this film come from? Oh, God. So many like there's so many um, there's so many influences. I, 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 I think for. I think I've been asked this before as far as like, how do you research? But I literally just follow everything I'm interested in. And at some point, things gel together and then the story comes together. And then I, it's like automatic writing. I sit down and I just write it and all the research, whether it's big or small, just comes pouring back into it. So um, it came from um, the monster, obviously. I, I do actually start with that. And so there's a lot of, uh, I, I spent a summer listening to audiobooks on Lovecraft. So it was like Lovecraft oh. originally, but then there was all these um, kind of reworkings from modern authors, which I was really impressed by because they were using Lovecraft ideas, but getting rid of the xenophobia, the racism, you know, all the things that are really questionable in Lovecraft and um, turning it around. There's a, a novel that I read. I think it's, um, I'm going to like mangle it. It's like, I think it's called Winter Sleep. And um, they use the whole elder god and the, you know, basically like, base strange people sort of thing. And they uh, the author mashes it with Japanese internship internment camps and so it's set in the 1940s and it's all about that I idea and so she mm. reworked it into something that was Lovecraftian and yet it had real um, social and racial significance in, in, a, in a culture and I'm really interested um, I've been influenced a lot by Jordan Peele in the last few years after Get Out where I was really reticent about writing culturally based anything because it felt 
that's what I grew up with. My dad basically saying, no, don't, don't go there. You're going to get, basically you're going to be shoved in a ghetto. If you start writing everything about Chinatown and the culture and that sort of thing, you're going to, they're going to be able to dismiss you in an easier sort of way. And so if you kind of like play like you're white, you know, assimilate properly and don't think about your race or your culture at all, uh, succeed enough that people like basically you have to be better than everyone or else, you know, you can't just be equal to them. You have to be better or else they're going to say that you got in from like, you know, back in the day it was um, affirmative action, right? Mm. Like they're going to be able to dismiss you as, you know, that the, the, the people that slid through because of these percentages. The token hire. The token hire, yeah. exactly. So you have to be good enough, but not so good that it's a problem. So that's, I think that's what really informs, say, Danny's speeches, which was like, they only want you to be this good, not that good, this good. <laughs> so yeah. it's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, again, things that came into, and I struggled with the script. Like after I wrote the first draft, which is, which, which was a novella, and it just kind of sprang forth from my head. Um, going back and writing these speeches was really like, oh, do I want to say that? I remember when I was writing that that speech specifically for Danny, and I did have a, have a feeling in mind. I was actually hearing her voice in it. Afterwards, I was thinking, oh, I don't think we're allowed to say that out loud. Are we wow. allowed to say that? So I did actually think about that. And I remember uh, my producer, Karen Wong, we were watching Elfina that evening, and she looked at me and she's like, Oh my God, it's even more powerful. Like when she wrote, when when she read the new draft, you know, I, I sent it in. She's like, okay, the page here, like, should we put that in? I was like, are we allowed to say that out are loud? Are we allowed to say that? Yeah. And so when she said it, I remember Karen shooting me this like, oh my God, it's even like more powerful now. And I was like, we can always cut it and edit. Like, don't worry, just let her go. Like, let it go. It's too powerful. Let's not like, yeah. So. We've really internalized a lot of white supremacy, right? And a lot of stuff that honestly, that worked for our parents, that worked, that, that the stuff that they had to do to survive, you know? But it's like it's a it's a new age. But it's weird because when I wrote the script, even the term white fragility did not exist. Hmm. Like people weren't reading this, this book. It was 2018. I wasn't thinking about these things. I was thinking, gee, this feels really like I feel very exposed in, in putting this out there. Do yeah. I do this? Oh, thank God it's a horror film. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hopefully, you know what I mean? Like they'll forget the other stuff and just uh, not see it as cod liver oil. Yeah, well, it definitely didn't feel like uh, cod liver oil. I mean, I was also thinking a lot about um, anti, I mean, e even before the pandemic, but definitely since the pandemic, you know, the anti-Asian hatred that we've had in Vancouver, specifically related to the real estate market. Like, was that something that was an early inspiration or, yeah, so t tell us more about that. Well, I think that because I grew up on the prairies and people think of me as like, in some ways, like a white prairie dude, they usually I say I do things think about you <laughs> yeah, like that, yeah, <laughs> totally. Only because that you were the one who chose when uh, for that feminist film series that I hosted and you end up, ch up choosing. That's how we met. Yeah, yeah, that was, what was the name of that film again? Near Dark. Near Captain Dark, and that is the most like white prairie dude film that you could, <laughs> if you want to know who Karen Lamb is, you watch Near Dark. <laughs> it's a great film. I'd never seen it, back, like such a, a treat to be able to watch it that way. But um, yeah, so the, people say things in a confessional way to you. They say things like, um, well, it's not you 
But you know when Chinese immigrants come in and they do this, like how do you feel about it? And somehow you're supposed to absolve them for having told you in the most like quietly racist way that it's not you, but you know like your people and and like it's weird because every time you see like a really high priced sports car wrapped around a telephone pole and you're reading the names, you're like please don't let it be Chinese. You know what、mm. I mean? Like there's a part of you that's like please don't 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 let it be us again. You know if it's a McLaren, it's a you know. <laughs> It's、yeah. a Ferrari. It's been wrapped around a pole. It was like speeding down whatever it is, and it's got an N on it, and everyone's pointing at it because some teenager owns this thing. You're thinking, please don't let it be us. <laughs> yeah. What drew you to this project? Why did you want to work on this? I love Karen. This is yeah. Our... She's okay. <laughs> <laughs>、um, is it our third project together? Uh, like, well, you, yeah, there's that. There、crap. was the eulogy that we that we never finished. There、oh, yeah. was Carol that you were in, and then、oh, I think this. This is the third one.、Yeah. Well, oh no, and then you were、uh, also Princess Sandra,、oh. Leia. Sandra, oh yes, that's、so、right. That was a little, little quick one that we did, but、yeah. uh, this is a little bit of quick、trivia. one, but powerful very, though. Very, I teared、yeah. up. It, I, I cry. Apparently, <laughs> you make me cry, Alfina. But like to see to see you when you come around the corner and you're in f- the full Princess Leia and you got your blaster. It's and to be like, we we can do that. Like we we can we can we can be the the space princess with the blaster saving everybody. Holy shit! I didn't know. That was the. I just got chills again. Like that was such an honor. I was so honored to be in that role to take those photos. Like it was. It was a great day. Yeah, it was. It was very. very we'll put a、important. link to that in the footnotes for this episode as well, so people can experience that. It's an N- NFB project, right? Yeah,、so、it's and it's、online. a tribute to Sandra Oh, who's basically she almost was. It's like we had filmed Willow first, obviously, and、um, when I got the chance to do this Sandra Oh tribute, it was almost like she confirmed all my reticence about putting. Willow out into the world. It, like I was still so nervous about it because it didn't. I knew it didn't feel like anything else I had done, and it was a little bit like, "Ooh, we're getting close to something personal." Jesus.、Um, but I think that、uh, Prairie working, Dude doesn't want to get Prairie, personal. No, we're Mennonite. Goddammit! If I'm quiet enough, no one will notice I'm Chinese. Just shh. You know what I mean? That was my whole、oh, yeah. thing in growing up when I was in in Brandon. It was always like, if I'm quiet enough, no one will know I'm Chinese.、Right? And they'd I be think like, they knew, Karen. I, I think they knew. Apparently, they did. And they would say things like, "Well, like the Chinese girl there," and I'd be like, "Who? Who?" And、right? look around. I'm like, oh, I didn't pass. I didn't pass. I always had that sort of like, oh no. And、mm. so, it it you know. And then、um, it's weird now with the whole politics where you're being singled out as like, well. We ate too many bats, right? It's it's because of your wet market. It's because of you know all these sorts of things that the the kung flu and the China flu and all this sort of stuff that's coming back. It's like was that always under the surface? Like did you、yep. always hate us, or was it just you know was this veneer of like you accept us only because we do your laundry and we give you like your you know your broccoli fried beef? Like I don't know where that is, and so that. It's it's sort of like oh that that came to the surface in a way that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a betrayal. Yeah, it it feels that way.、So、yeah. Anyway, I don't eat bats. I really don't. I, I like bats a lot. They're they're cute. Yeah, they're 
They're terrifying. But there is that great. <laughs> have you guys seen that video? It's it's bats, but they flipped it over so it, it ends up looking like this is what like a like a goth club is, and it's like these bats look like they're dancing. But it's oh, Alfina, I am going to send it to you. It's going to blow your mind. I will put it in the footnotes for this. Episode. I believe I have danced like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's goths. Yeah, bats. But like filmed from a different angle, they look like they're in a goth club from the <laughs> mid '90s. I'm sorry. Why did you want to work with Karen? <laughs> right. The question. <laughs> the question. Well, you haven't listened to the podcast before. This is what the podcast is. It's awesome. <laughs> Conversation around a formica table. It was the nails. It was the nails. <laughs> so this is a little bit of trivia. So in Cairo, she had me in these like very eccentric red <laughs> hot red nails and then for <laughs> and then for uh willow's curse we did black really 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 black press on nails and then it just kind of became this thing where we're like okay that what's the good. next what's the next character what kind of nails is she gonna adorn because <laughs> it's just this thing that was what's going on but um I, like I said, I love your work and I love working with her. There's this freedom and relaxation that I'm, I just know will be there and trust that we built over time too. So when I come to the work, um, I don't know, we didn't talk too much about it. I, in my memory, I think it was just, we got the green light and then we kind of just went and did it. And we talked a little bit about the character, but there's just this trust in the, the material, I trust her. I, I mean, it resonates so um, just immediately and it's kind of this amazing, I don't know, you're the writer, what's a good word? Well, you know, yes, but give her some good, some nice words to say about you. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because, um, I mean, I, I only hope this, but usually when I'm, when it comes to like, I write the first draft of the script, but the second draft is I'm actually casting it in my head. Like I already, I know who I'm asking, I know who it's going to be for. So in a lot of ways, I'm hearing it in her voice. And so when I give it to the actor, I hope that they're not actually going to say, oh my God, what garbage, what have you handed us this time, right? But um, hopefully like again, um, it's, it's like my casting process is actually to lurk on everything they've done. <laughs> So these poor people, I actually stalk them for months. They have no idea how many things I've watched they've been in. I listen to intonation. I think about like, you know, I'll stalk them on social media to see like, oh, she's really into this. You know, like it's it's a horrible thing. So I spend a lot of time. I do that too. Yeah, I right? mean, but you know, I, I want to know what your essence is. Yeah. And so that's sort of what comes across. But after I've put it down in paper and handed it over, I don't want to know. So basically, I at this point, Danny, the character, is Alfina. So mm. whatever Alfina chooses to do, like, I'm there as a sounding board if she needs it. But at this point, she is just that character. So whatever choices she makes that feel right to her yeah. will probably be right for me. So that's why I don't want to know. I didn't want to hear, like, I never do a table read. Good God, that would be horrible. Like, just hearing your, <laughs> like, by the time I would get on set, I'd have to hear those words again. And by then I would really hate my script, right? So I, I like the, I like, it's almost like by the time we're on set, I'm hearing it for the first time. And it gives me a chance to direct in a to totally non, like, um, 
precious way. You know, yeah. like you're not really thinking about every word that you've put down. And in fact, I don't remember because I never work with continuity either. So we don't have a script continuity. I have no idea what happens. You know, like whatever Trust. she's learned as far as the script goes, those are her words, right? And so then I'm just looking at it and saying, do I believe it? Do I trust it? You know, like, so you're behind the monitor going, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, was that good? Like, I don't at this point think it's my words, you know, like it's it's her. And so when you came up with the Kardashian look, like, cause we were trying to figure out like, what does Danny look like? She's like contouring, you know, scraped back hair, that whole Kim, Kim and, yeah. you know, Kimye sort of look. I was like, oh yeah, totally want to see that. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I love the surprise of what you were bringing each time. So I, 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 that's that's the joy for me being on set, not that I know exactly every choice that she's going to make. And in fact, the encouragement that I try to give everybody is like, go have fun with it. You know what I mean? Like, surprise me. I, I don't. I, I don't have anything in mind. It's like, I, I mean, I have the framing with like, you know, we, we have a general thing in mind, but I like the surprises, you know, it should feel a little bit more organic than just like. Yeah, and you're bringing people in who you trust are going to surprise you in a positive way yeah. that will f fit with your overall vision. Yeah, and then sometimes you learn along the way that some performers are less trustworthy and you're like, okay, we'll let you have that. But in my head, I'm like, that's not going in. <laughs> it's like, that's a peculiar choice, but bold. <laughs> oh, that's another David Lewis thing, isn't it? Um, I, I think that we need to put a little bit of, um, of respect uh, on Valerie Tian, uh, the performance that she gives, um, the, the, the sense of, of of trauma and also of strength. Like, what were you looking for when when you were casting the role of Willow? You know what? I wrote the script for her, so it was actually the entire. Um, I wrote the novella in second person, so you're Willow, the like whoever's reading it. But I worked with Val on. Um, Mythos, and uh, she had basically like she's a friend of a friend, and so I've you know I, I've seen her since she was actually a child. Although again, she has probably no idea about that. But um, basically, I know her from dim sum. Sounds so creepy when you said, "Wait, what? You know her from dim sum?" Yeah, basically, because we have dim sum lunches together, and I know she hoovers food, so I know that she'll eat any entrail, and she will hoover anything that's there. Like she is the smallest human, and it's like this garburator that you can just give her food, and she's like, "Oh, are we done?" with that and she'll just keep going right and so my kids like that too yeah at dim sum she's like tripe yeah. chicken feet i'm like i don't okay yeah. whatever you want anything squidgy yeah, she eats, yeah. I, I eat it too but she will eat the rest of the plate it's awesome so um but when we hired her for uh for mythos she just had this ethereal quality to her. And what was amazing was that as soon as she's on camera, her face is reactive. So sometimes with actors and uh, with performers, when when they're speaking, they're animated. And when they're not, it's like, like the robot went off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like you can't do the reverse. With Val, she has, there's no sense that I'm speaking so or I'm I'm listening. She's just in character. Things are coming off of her and, and all the reactions are that. So I really wanted a main character who in a lot of ways people play off of. And so I wrote that script with that in mind, actually. Mm. People talk at Willow a lot. And she is often, she is, um, she's not in like a passive participant in her life, 
but a lot of times she is in a position without having any power. I mean, that's always pissed me off as far as writing goes, where people are like, oh, you've written a passive like protagonist. You know, she hasn't she isn't the agent of her own destiny. And I'm thinking to myself, how many of us are? Like, I just think to myself, like, how often are we these amazing like I am going to go and rescue? Like there's a reluctance to basically being the like the main actor in your life. Sometimes it's like, all right, this is happening. Or it's an illusion. Yeah. You know, which I think that we're really feeling right now in the age of COVID, right? Like we don't really have as much power yeah. as we thought that we that we did. Um, wow, I just really depressed the hell out of myself all of a sudden. <laughs> I get back control here in my podcast lab. Exactly. She's phenomenal though in in this as as well. Um and also, you know, besides the systemic racism and and all the other delicious stuff that, you know, you've kind of loaded us with, I was also thinking a lot about how hard it is to get out of jail and how the system, you know, is re is really stacked against somebody who is, you know, who has addictions and and wants to do something differently. You know, was that an, was that intentional or? Yeah. So can you tell me a bit about like the kind of thought that you put into that? Well, um, I actually had uh, and it was a privilege to basically spend time with um, female inmate firefighters in Oregon during the, the fall of 2017, my uh, research partner and I, Caitlin Dowling, basically were researching um, a documentary, whether it was gonna be a series or a feature doc, that was literally chronicling um, female inmates trying to get a new, um, I guess, lease on their life by going through the firefighting program. Wow. And there's only a couple of these programs. And we finally got, after a year of like an, you know, it's a bureaucracy. So we finally got access to um, Coffee Creek in Portland. So we flew down during high forest fire season in 2017 mm -hmm. and had a chance to interview the women in the field. And um, it was amazing because they were not what I expected. I didn't expect the, the stories these women had. And one younger woman in her 20s was getting out basically by the end of the month. And this is the inspiration for Willow's story. I asked her, oh, you must be really excited. She said, I'm actually terrified. Um, this is the first time in my life that I'm clean from drugs. My brother is the reason I'm here. He's a drug dealer. He's in a gang. And um, when I get out, I will have to have no contact with him, but he's also my only family. And I thought, wow, that really struck me <sighs> that, you know, how is she going to do this? Because when we talked to the, basically the corporal of the, of the division, and he said, these women are just amazing. He was just raving about them. He said, but if they don't, if they get out and they don't have the full support behind them, the chances of them coming back are unfortunately really high. And mm. so here's this young woman who for the first time felt needed. She was part of a team. She was doing great work. Um, she was again, you know, drug free, but how is she going to live, you know, and yeah. basically without the, the safety net, you're, you're literally on a knife's edge when you're, when you're living in a halfway house, the people that you're dealing with, all the systems that are in place, all the checks and balances that are supposed to help you actually um, keep you in this sort of very narrow, like it's, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard path to not go back into your comfortable old way of living. Yeah. So that was a, that just, I, I'd say that that experience was just life changing, being able to spend time with these women, because I, I think the corporal took us aside at some point. He says, what's the difference between them and us? And, you know, we kind of shrugged and he said, they got caught. 
So, you know, like you're one step away. And like one of the women I met with, she was a travel agent. She was in her 50s and she was caught for drinking and driving. She just made a wrong decision. It ended up in manslaughter. So, of course, oh. here she is. And of course, she's in like, you know, medium security, finally moving her way up. Her sons won't talk to her, you know, and she's in her 50s. And I thought, wow, like I can't imagine going from real estate agent partying, you know, at a bar one evening to one evening Jesus. to basically, yeah, years so in, in um, incarcerated. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I just so these these uh, these stories really resonated for me. And so everything gets thrown into the mix. You yeah, know, it's like a. Wow, I mean, it also explains why I ended up having such empathy uh, for for Willow and also for for Flea and for other characters as well, yeah. except for Adam's character oh, and yeah. Eva's character. Didn't have empathy for them. Let's talk about um about the experience of uh of f- filming uh, Willow's song. Um, I'm going to start with Alfina um, because I think I know a lot of what you're going to say. I'm imagining you're going to say, and then they, it was great. And then they did, and then they surprised me and I loved it. So we kept it. So I, I already know that. So no, that's totally it. That's totally it. <laughs> no, I, and, but let, let's talk about some of your, your most memorable moments from filming. And, and if you want to throw some challenges that you had to overcome in there, I love those challenges. I, you know, the biggest, the warehouse, um, yeah, where was that? Langley. Langley, uh, across from the Willowbrook Mall. Like, that's weird, right? Whoa. It was like, when we drove there, it was like, it's Willowbrook. And then there was like a video store that was called the Willow Video Store. And I was like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> yeah, the warehouse was, we shot all around the warehouse and the stair staircase. That was creepy. It was you brought in all those creepy. chairs? Or were those there? They were all there. The toilets were just the, there. Yeah, the toilet. There was, there was this weird. random toilet that was there that we were. I was acting towards. And that one scene. I was like, "See that? That was from the party, like years back." Um, <laughs> I was gonna really compliment you on the set deck, but wow, it's like that's. I mean, it is incredible set deck when, it, especially when it comes with the location. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, we we shot outside. Did we go anywhere else? Um, yeah, we gorilla. Memory is well. We did. I don't think you didn't go anywhere yeah, else. Okay, but right. it was just all around the, the thing. Oh, we drove, you know what? Probably the evening of um, being outside in the car for yeah. however long. That was a thing too, because we thought we had a process trailer. We did not have a process trailer. So poor Elfina actually had to drive my SUV and basically make it seem like. It was great. It was yeah. a great car. Yeah. But I remember the cracked window. So there was that 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 Val kept looking at. And that was the thing. She just kept looking at the crack in the window. We're like, you know, in between takes. We're always chatting. She's like, I'm like, whose car is this? Like, um, Karen needs to get her window fixed. <laughs> But you left it broken. I left the, it yeah, broken. Yeah. It looked like bullet holes. It like, did. Yeah, yeah. Someone had actually tried <sighs> to break in. And so at first it was just these little things and eventually it started cracking and it looked worse and worse. And so I was driving Val every morning and essentially Karen wouldn't let Val sit in that seat in case it burst. So mm. I, she literally had to be in the back seat like I was chauffeuring. So anyway, so she'd like talk in the back at the back of my head as we drove <laughs> every morning in. 
Val, by the way, just for a quiet character that I wrote, she never stops talking. It's kind of awesome. It's, right? I think because she didn't speak very much as Willow, she had to get it all out as Val. No, it was, it was very no, she speaks all the time. I know. It's so constant. Like, I'd pick her up in the morning and she'd be talking and eating in the back, right? And so we'd drive there. And at the end of the evening, she was asleep a couple of times and she was still talking to me. <laughs> So we got lost in Surrey and she was still talking to me, right? I and it. I didn't know. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. I was like, you didn't stop, though. You just kept going. So. She, I, I do have to say, she, her process is amazing, though, witnessing her. Because I, I like to, like, I can have a conversation. But right before, you know, you say action, I like a moment, like a beat, right? But literally, she can flip so quick that I'm like, oh, my God. But she'll literally go right into character. And it's just, I'm like, she called action. She called action. Couple, but that was in the car because we were hanging out in there to stay warm as well. So that's, I actually love car scenes. So that's one of, you know. That was great. I love car scenes. I don't know why. There's an intimacy about it. I, I don't know what it is. It's probably just the, I don't know. There's, because the camera's not, maybe you're not just staring at this massive lens or it, like it's right there, but. Was this the project though where you had to, you worked all night and then you had to sleep in your car and then go do another project? Oh my gosh, you remember that? No, I remember no, that. It wasn't yeah. this one. That was two other projects. Okay, I was thinking of cars and I. Yeah, see, yeah. You th yeah. Karen and I both, we know everything about everybody. <laughs> um, really was cute. the warehouse creepy as fuck? Like, as it looks like on, like, did anything kind of like weird There's happen? bats. There was bats every night. So when we were sitting what? outside, when you guys were in the car, we just hear this sound and it was just bats. So they Could were. Did that all sound again? <laughs> That was the sound that we had. Like, it was kind of like bat-like. And so we always had to keep- They're so, having their goth nightclub. Yeah, they, they were doing their thing. <laughs> and so uh, apparently we had a security, um, we had a security guy in the evenings and he was creeped out by the end. Like, so every, mm. cause there was bat sounds. There was always sounds in the warehouse. And so he would be very like, basically when we would show up in the morning, he'd be running out, right? Like, like, okay, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> See ya. So, I remember it was really dusty. And then and then um, Val was telling me that her allergies or asthma was kicking in. I don't think no, she has asthma, but mm -hmm. I, I did end up getting sick after that, probably because it was a lot of it was like winter. It's like cold. Well, there was know. bat. There was rat poo. So no, it wasn't just bats. Poo. There was rat poo. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was, was like there was actual. I'm sure like just sawdust and asbestos is our first masked project that we yeah. did. Yeah, like it literally was half the crew was in masks, and yeah. um, that was how. And I, yeah. Thank you for your sacrifice. Like, honestly, it looks so good. It is it is up there for me as one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Karen Lamb film. Oh. Although Evangeline will always have a very special place in my, oh. in my heart uh, as well. Um, what about you? Memorable moment from filming? Karen. I just, I, I just did like an, a, a chin nod, like, what about you? No one else can see that. I mean, the whole time I was thinking, why did I write so many stairwell scenes? Because by eight, day eight of sitting in the same rickety stairwell, you're like, <laughs> really? Like, you know what I mean? Like, but this time, at least unlike Evangeline, I wasn't sitting outside at three in the morning in the, it, like in a cold, rainy forest. At mm. least I was in a cold, rainy parking lot that felt a little bit better, I'd say, because the warehouse also wasn't heated. So, and so there's a, a lot of moments too where, you know, we're running around and we uh, we did a few um, gorilla grabs, which was out in, in, 
in um, East Van. So we were filming in Strathcona. And um, memorable moment is um, a very large prostitute hanging on my car when we came back after filming. And she looked very large. And I was like, I don't want to tell her to move off my car. She was using it as a prop for, I guess, we were in her office space, she told yeah. us. So yeah, she pretty well told me that I was um, invading her work space and that I owed her money. So anyway, <laughs> she tried. It, it was, it's, and I get it because we are the invaders at, yeah. at this point. And so I just kind of waited until she got her um, client uh, dealt with and then uh, I got in my car. But until then I was uh, sort of just waiting. Well, hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry, she was using your car as her office space. Yes, to proposition um, someone. And I waited for the transaction to go. And by the time they left to go do whatever they were going to do, then I could get into my car. But I felt like, you know, I felt like I was in her space. So I didn't want to go and like, excuse me, I just need to get my car. Like I felt <laughs> awkward about that whole moment. So. I appreciate you respecting um, the fact that she had work to do. She had work to do. Like, yeah. I get that. Like, on Evangeline, um, I think we had another uh, prostitute yell at me. She said, you know, you think you're so awesome because you're working here, but this is my office and you are seriously bad for business. So we were like, okay. So, you know, we're trying to get... Does that her. happen to a lot of filmmakers or, like, is it just you where you're <laughs> filming? Like, I where haven't heard filming. that. I haven't heard that a lot. I've, I mean, I've heard of, like... Well, I've heard of poo being thrown at people and stuff and various I alleys. I think it has to do with whether you got a film permit and whether you have the crew to basically keep your shooting space free. Mm. But if you're just guerrilla like shooting and like just grabbing stuff where you can, then you don't have anyone locking off your set. You're it's literally a it's a free for all. Yeah. So people walk to and from you have sometimes free extras right <laughs> people, yeah people i love come it through and and that just happens you just have to kind of deal with it but also respect the space of the fact that you're filming there means that you're respecting that neighborhood and that what that neighborhood means so it's not like you know i i felt cruddy each time i did not feel like i'm doing my thing here it's more like yeah this is her office let me just let her like have her space so yeah um how do you follow that? Like, how do I go into another question after that? I'm like looking at Elfie and I'm being like, I don't even know how to talk about anything after this. Um, what What do you want? What do you want audiences to carry with them out of the theater once the credits are rolling, and or um, carry with them? I don't know off their bed once the credits are. I, I don't. I don't know how people are going to be watching the film. I actually will be going to the theater to watch it again. Because cool. I want to have that experience of watching everybody else. Can I turn that back on you? How do you feel? Like, I, I it's hard because it's your child, right? Like, you don't know how, like, you're hoping your child will do wonderful things in this world, but. What do you mean, how do I feel? Like, or how do I, how do I want people to feel about your film? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you how I feel. I felt that it was empowering escapist entertainment. I, I, I felt like I'd seen a monster that I hadn't seen before. The film did not end in any kind of predictable way, um, which I was grateful for. Like, and uh, I mean, I had emotional reactions to things that I like, th as, as we were talking about with Alfina's speech, like I, I just, um, I, I mean, I, I want more from you. That's what I want is I want more from you and I want people to see this film. 
Can I share? So I'm actually not a fan of horror movies because I get scared really easily. So when we went to watch same girl, same yeah, yeah. <laughs> at night, uh, we went to the drive-in on uh, yeah as the the outdoor. Yeah. Like oh yeah, you guys had that cool screening. We yeah. remember that the Vancouver Film Studios. Thank you guys. Like they actually let us use their lot to basically. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah it was a very cool experience. And um, I was a bit like nerd. I'm like, am I gonna have to cover my eyes? I was, but the story, even though I know the story and I was part of telling the story, I thought it was done so amazingly well. There were moments where I was scared, but it wasn't enough for, you know, that I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to watch it again because it was so artistically well done. It's and beautiful. It was beautiful. And I, I and I emailed you right away because I was like, I understand why you chose to do it in black and white. You know, mm. I was there at the space and the stairwell was super creepy when we were shooting. But when I saw the, the shadows and the way that they moved and then with the with the the monster, I was like, I get it. And I just saw the art and it was so beautiful. And that when I could look at it from that point of view, that perspective, I wasn't, you know, as scared anymore. So it's probably my favorite scary film ever <laughs> that yeah. I would watch again because I'm just- And know, I hate scary films. Yeah, me too. So. so. So it. that's our answer. Yeah. <laughs> so you're happy with that answer? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm always very curious because, again, um, you know, it's not like I scare myself, to be perfectly honest. When I'm writing these things, I'm not like, oh, I'm terrified. You know, it's my brain. So I don't really, you know, I, I don't know how the reaction is on, on that. But, um, you know, again, I'm hoping that people will at least talk about some of the ideas that are in it, but still be able to enjoy it the way that, like, again, you know, my influence is in the last while being like the, the Jordan Peele way of dealing with things, which is that you learn a little something out of it, but it still should function as a as a horror film, as a ghost story, as a whatever it actually is. It, it, should, it should function in that sort of way. But if it makes you think about some other ideas, then I, I, I'm hoping that's that without, yeah. I, what I love too is that it's so hyper local to Vancouver, you know, and I don't just mean the settings. I, I like it's 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 also the kind of story that that was born from Vancouver. That it's it's born from the 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 all of the the beautiful and ugly contradictions of life here, you know. Yeah. Um, our yeah. landscape is that, you know what I mean? Like when Thomas and I were driving around getting B-roll for it, it was just construction sites. We were going from construction site to construction site. That is, when I look outside of my, I live downtown, um, I'm the West End. When I look out, all I see are cranes. So yeah. that building did not stop during the pandemic. The only people, like they no, there was no social distancing at all, like, and no masks either on construction sites. Those guys were basically working the entire time we were in phase one. Like I never stop, saw wow. it stop. You know what I mean? Like go, like I have a local grocery store, the Fresh Street Market, it just opened under the the, the bridge. And yeah. it's funny because at lunchtime, they're all sitting there in a big clump, you know, eating their lunches from the takeout counter. And I just thought, wow, like this never, it it's like two different worlds. There was everyone else and then there was construction. And yeah. so it's, uh, it's fascinating to me. I love the honesty of the film. I just have to say, like, the characters. It's just it felt so real, and I could relate, at least knowing someone that could kind of fit into each role. Yeah. They were all built on real real yeah. people, to be honest, too. And a, a lot of the conversations, again, that I specifically gave Danny and the, the family dynamic is stuff that I've heard basically 
not necessarily my immediate family, but family friends saying to each other, my some of my relatives saying, you know, the, the idea that um, I think, especially in Canadian kind of the immigrant stories that we've heard again and again, have a, a very specific, almost like a, I wouldn't say it's a focus, but it's got this like scrappy immigrant family in the middle of it. You know, it's them, I guess, coping with being in a in in Canada and how they're going to fit in. And, you know, I, you know, ultimately everyone eats dim sum together and it's it's kind of a happy sort story. Yeah. And I think that um, what's interesting to me is that I've rarely seen class, money, hierarchy, that sort of stuff being talked about in any real sort of way. We see that in Korean cinema. Like you look at a movie like Parasite or, mm. you know, Snowpiercer and the idea of systemic classism and the hierarchy and when you look at the real i guess the real changes that are happening in our world politically speaking a lot of that stems from poverty and having like there's one percent that own everything and then there's everyone else and what does that mean money and uh, we it's it's almost like we don't like thinking of ourselves as being a society that still looks at class or money or anything like that and yet you know that's that's a big component of it how how much success are we allowed to have as immigrants coming in and yeah. you know I, I i think that's something that um has always uh, been in the back of my head mainly because um my family is not a working class family like my my immediate family like i have a lot of like doctors, lawyers, dentists, and, and that in, in my family, but also on my mom's side, everyone's a business owner. So, yeah. and not just business, but like global business, right? Mm -hmm. And so their immigrating to Canada was on different terms and it was about investment and it was like a, a, a different, and I've never seen that story being told in any way because it feels to me like this is the immigrant story we want from you, which is the kind of the the Chinatown. And it's not to say that that isn't a real experience. It's just that there's this whole new wave of immigration that's coming in that um, is making people's backs go up. You know, like I remember on Facebook seeing um, some very well-meaning friends taking photos of Lamborghinis with ends on them, right? And I was like, oh God, that's our people again. Right? <laughs> what have we done? You know, like, it, it's like, you're not supposed to be that tall poppy that literally comes in with your Ferraris and your, you know, your, the, like all this construction that's going up, you're thinking, oh, are these all investments? Are these like, are people going to be living in this? Who can afford to live in these places? And then you start looking at, you know, again, um, a, a country like China, who's like, I guess it's motherland, but, you know, it's not something that I, I have a strong feeling toward other than all of a sudden there's immigration coming out that's all about finding places to invest in with this newfound wealth. Yeah. You know, like the the like the people have so much money. They're hiding it from the government. They've got all this like I um you know the story's loosely based on some family friends where um the parents got basically on her wedding day got taken back to the Chinese consulate, flown back because they own some sort of large mining company and they've been incarcerated since. Whoa. So you just get hauled away, you get a phone call and it's like, "Oh, there it is. The authorities have tracked you down and you're being held on corruption. So Oof. that's something that I've heard again and again as well. Like I've had, um, you know, my uncle, basically he has a he has a, a factory in China on the other. He lives in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. But even that 
uh, that weekly commute over the border, you never know when you're going to get hauled off. So yeah. that, so of course you're coming here because you're trying to escape this authoritarian whatever it is that you're, this regime that you're trying to escape from. But you're also really, really entrepreneurial, right? So that mix is very challenging. Coming here, I've had relatives say to me, "Oh, the Canadian bylaws, you know, like they just they prevent you from like moving fast the way that in in China and Hong Kong, like." companies move fast and yeah. they make quick decisions. Here it's like, oh, we're slugged in like bureaucracy again and on and on. So there's this sort of like, um, they accept being here, but there's also like, again, I'm really interested in what that conflict is when you're looking at no longer this this culture, which is again, a rural working class coming, but all of a sudden businessmen who are like, I want to build it this way. I'm going to export my thing here. So I'm going to hide the taxes here. And you're like, you can't do that. You know, it's hard. And it's like, oh my God, don't do that. That's, that's a bad idea. So um, yeah, it's, it's something again, that is, uh, again, the reality that I see from my family, friends, and my relatives that I don't ever see on screen. Like that, mm. that sort of mentality is never, is never reflected. You know, I'm so excited because I know that this film represented a first for you, first, you know, time really kind of looking into this kind of a cultural story and now you've unlocked something and I'm excited to see where you're going to take us next. Oh my God, I'm going back to the hovel. There's no way. It's <laughs> terrifying. No, no. This is not Elfina it. wants to have some super scary, stressful experiences. I can tell. But maybe next time have it in a place that's heated. Yeah. You could tell a story in like Hawaii or something. You know what, Elfina? That's why uh, we did Carl in the art gallery. Yeah. Yeah, that was literally insane. right after Evangeline. And I said, who is the idiot who wrote nighttime <laughs> slash forest, right? Like exterior forest nighttime. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. I was like, interior, art gallery, you know, day. You are the creator. <laughs> exactly. That's what's going to happen. So then it became this. But guess what? It was sweltering in there. So I was uh, like, yeah, this is yeah. not better. I thought this is this is not better. And it's like, I've decided that every good place that we have to film is going to suck for me like just on a on a pure like physical sort of thing. there'll be no like and they'll be perfectly body like this this is it and now we'll be in masks so of course the the heat from that will be yeah. just extra yeah. i don't know how i'm gonna Different. do this because you guys could always tell if i wanted to cut based on i don't have botox right so i'm like Ugh, that's bad they, i can see them <laughs> looking over and they're like oh we're going again right like it's just like, be like oh yeah. is that true you would read her face and be like I know I, I can't say for sure, yeah. but <laughs> I, 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 I that looks familiar. Yeah, this like that's what's happening here. <laughs> so that yeah, yeah. and oh, so if you have a mask, you know you'll be able to see the frown line because I haven't got Botox there either, right? But I I'll, I point at things. I'm like hmm, I don't know about that, and then you know you can just wear your clear mask, and then you they yeah. can everybody can see everything. But for longer periods, you you're supposed to be all masked up, so not mm. just your clear mask, and so yeah. that's like. The, you get like a Pope mobile thing, yeah. like a, just well, made so, of plexiglass and then a bubble, yeah. a bubble, and I, a literal bubble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I know other people have been working well in this. I just know that so much of what I do is so nonverbal, like, you know, like you're all huddled behind the the monitor. And if I don't like something, I poke the person like it's like, oh, look at that, look at that. <laughs> right? And they poke me back and it's like, oh, look, look, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's bad. Let's do that again. Yeah. Right. And so there's a lot it's of a very like, gentle. 
like doesn't sound direction. gentle. It seems like people are going to get a lot of bruises well, from all the poking. It's gentle poking. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ooh. And I, 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 I kind of direct with like I have this finger that I kind of circle. Like I don't know why I think that anyone just I circle it on the screen like it's it's like it's going to do something yeah. on the monitor. Like <laughs> that there. What's happening here? Like what? Oh. And then I usually I circle it and then I point at it a few times, right? Like so anyone in my vicinity is like she's circled it and she's pointed at it. There's a problem with whatever she's and, just done. That. And I don't think I ever saw you sitting. I no, I don't. Always sit. standing. No, yeah. I don't have any, any chairs behind the monitor because yeah. I find that um, I think better on my feet for one thing. And also, as soon as you call cut or whatever, then I want to be able to run out and kind of like be there. Yeah. And I always find that when you're sitting, there's a certain like hierarchy of who gets close to the monitor. Whereas mm. when we're all standing, we're just like so. I always put the monitor at my height for for standing, and then we just kind of all crowd around. And um, so there is still the power play of the monitor has to be at your height. My height, yeah, yeah. exactly. But if that's the power tall, play. Yeah, if you're too <laughs> tall, your problem. Back up. Back up. <laughs> but yeah. oh my gosh, I don't. I mean, I, I'm gonna look at my questions. We didn't answer any of them. I'm sorry. No, but we had a great conversation, and that's what this is about. Is there anything else that you feel that people should know? About about the Curse of Willow song before Viff? Uh, oh, it, we are actually going to be uh, having our Ontario premiere at Real World. Aww. So it's, uh, that's I think October 14th to 19th. And so we're playing there as well. So that was our Ontario debut. That's exciting. So yeah. October 19th is my birthday. So if you're in Ontario, oh. where in Ontario? Uh, I, I guess coming to a living room near you because nobody's Okay, really so if you're in Ontario, you want to honor me on my birthday, you're going to watch the Curse of Willow song on October 19th. Not the 18th, not the 17th, <laughs> October 19th um, with some Prosecco. And a cat, if you have a cat, that's i'll be spending my birthday anyways yeah. <laughs> actual birthday this year with my cats and my family in prosecco okay um alfina luck karen lamb thank you so much for being here today how can people find you follow you celebrate you on the social media i, I use instagram and then it's linked to everything so just add alfina luck okay She's easy. Where I am uh, on Twitter, I am opiate pics. Yeah. And on Instagram, I'm sorry, I'm my cats. So it's <laughs> don't apologize. I love oh, your that's cats so account. So weird. I know like, it's funny because whenever... Sophia and Mateo. Yeah. I'm gonna tag you on Instagram because I use Instagram as my main like post, and then it just propagates. And then I'm like, is it okay that I post your cats? Because I want to link it to you, but I gotta do both. Yeah. It's, it's just embarrassing. I only went on Instagram because I knew people were sick of my kitten pictures, but I wrote it from Mateo's perspective and I haven't broken that in five years. And so it's always, it's his Instagram account. So I can, it's embarrassing. Wait, it's not Sophia's <laughs> perspective at all. It's only Mateo's. Yes. I didn't notice that. Exactly. So he speaks in first person. Sophia's in third person. I'm just the human. You're the and, human. And every photograph is actually shot upward from his angle so it's just i know i don't i can't believe i kept that up for five years i'm embarrassed for me to be perfectly honest it takes work it takes work it does it takes that's, OCD. A, that's a it's lot weird. of work yeah. i know can, can have you considered making a film that is from mateo's perspective 
you know what facebook already is like that that's a more private account but that's still like he's there writing every single thing he is my writing assistant for some weird reason he likes the energy of when i'm sitting and writing so he sits on my lap and then he looks at the screen and he actually literally just the whole time i'm typing he's there too and when i'm done a session he leans in looks at it and he leans back looks at me and's like ah, i think we did okay did he get a credit on the film i did not give him a credit i think it's weird oh, fuck karen <laughs> He worked hard and you didn't even give him a credit. It is, I feel weird enough. Like, honestly, there's enough. Like, I, I think there's too much quirk already. Like, that's, I, I think there should I'm be I'm sorry, but if you've done five years of an Instagram account <laughs> from his perspective and, and you even, like, I don't know. I think own it. Lean into it. <laughs> Lean into your weird. Yeah, that's great. I, like I just, I, I would watch a, a, a scary movie told from your cat's perspective. I think every day might be a horror show. I mean, right now that we're having that moth infestation, they're mm. every, like, what's weird is that singularly each moth is beautiful, but in the collective, they're creepy, right? Like, so at night, um, wherever my lamps are in the living room, that's where they're all crowded on and stuck to the window off. So mm. it's just one window pane will be stuck with like 30 some moths just in one thing. They, my cats go crazy. They're like, oh my God, like it's enter it's cat TV, right? So it's become very exciting. What do you think is going on in Karen's brain? <laughs> Wasn't that the question in the very beginning? It was a very yeah. beginning question. I have no idea, but I'm always <laughs> listening in awe and wondering what she's going to say next. Yes. But yes. Same. Yeah. Same. Okay. Well, as I said, it's been a pleasure. You can find these remarkable humans and their cat alter egos on the social media. Um, you can find us on the social media as well on uh, us, me. I don't know. I'm starting to talk in the, the, the royal we. Um, f follow me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. Wait, I forgot to say. So, Viff, if people want to watch this film, how can they watch this film? They can watch it online by buying tickets um, or our live screening, which is for, again, limited. Um, they're doing it simultaneously, but it's October 3rd at 9 p.m. at the VIF Theater and at Cinematheque. We will be at VIF actually doing a Q&A live streamed. Mm -hmm. But I think there's only 50 spots or whatever. The, like it's a limited viewing. And I'll be there, too. Yeah. So it's. Nice. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So if you want to be near us, like, you know, in our hazmat suits, will be there, you know, on on at the VIF one. And then again, overflow goes into uh, the Cinematheque. I love both those theaters. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to have popcorn. I don't know. Because the Cinematheque has the yeah. best, I mean, no disrespect, VIF Fan City Theater, but Cinematheque has the best popcorn in town. Hey. Okay. It's been you a like, while Yeah, been and they've got all the sprinkles. Yeah. But I um, don't know that they'll... I don't know like because that's encouraging people to take down their masks yeah, and, and, stuff, and right? share and van city share. theater has wine but mm -hmm. oh what a what a sad that's what makes me sad what a sad time <laughs> but no you popcorn know no wine but i'm excited because viff <laughs> actually has had the full restoration done right? i know oh, i can't wait to see it so we get to see it on the 24th i think is when it opens and then um and i think they've done some very significant redos to the to the to the building and so yeah, I 
I've heard, and I don't, I won't quote this, so maybe we can take this out. We'll see. But no, we're gonna I, leave it in, and then, yeah, and then we'll just blame you. Blame me. <laughs> no, no, no. It's but true. I, I have, I have heard that. I have heard that as yeah. well. I got like official press releases and yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, but the fact that they also redid their ventilation while they were at it, so it will. I feel safer in in that environment. Just because should we be sporting these in the panel? <laughs> I guess we'll be wearing something or other. I think I they wonder, want us just to, to show yeah. that we're. Yeah, yeah but you, know. you you could decorate your face shields, you know, so that they're I'm thematic thinking. to um the movie to the movie. Exactly, Ooh, it's distracting some, enough. Some, like the monster, right? yeah, it's like creeping. Yeah, welders masks. We show yeah. up in welders masks. Oh, yeah. and um, I also uh, want to give a shout out to uh, a special sponsor of the podcast um, who. Work does show up in Willow Song, which is Liquid Amber Tattoo and Arts Collective, <gasps> uh, which is a uh, uh, co-owned by Livia Peterson, friend of the podcast, and uh, it was really great to and see. Friend of the film, friend and of the film, um, and it's yeah. just so wonderful to see. Um, I don't know, they're just th the support that that they have for the indie film community in particular, and uh, got my little tattoos there. So yeah, I was going to yes. say the same thing. If you want, basically. <laughs> amazing work done in a completely friendly environment that's also really comfortable like I, I not that again as a woman going in to get your tattoo work done it can be vulnerable you mm -hmm. can be in an uncomfortable spot people are looking at your bits you know what I mean like mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. here it felt really comfortable and um, I we actually in the film um, she does the, the the title song as well, Miranda Boyer, who is an artist there. She, uh, I, I put her in it, but she's also the singer on the opening credits. Oh, so that's, wow. her, that's her music. So we used nice. a lot of, so just shout outs to music as far as- um, Shout outs that, to music. I'll give the music uh, shout out. Miranda Boyer's um, Murder Dub is uh, the, the name of her band for that's that That's an awesome that's name. The opening. Yeah. Um, the end title credits are actually Ingrid Nelson. Ingrid Nelson! Who, who plays yeah. Flea. And that's yeah. her song. And uh, my friends, Ophelia Falling, um, they're actually the the song that they play on. Uh, the Will is playing on her, and we cut a video to the to that as well. So for the song, um, their 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 first their first single. And so that is we we used it, and I'm very happy to have that. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, the title song and the band Ophelia Falling. So you're pretty much the coolest. Mm. So cool. Yeah. So cool and so terrifying. Cool. Yeah. Because I'm totally creepy, right? <laughs> you are. You. She is. You know, when she came in here to do the last interview, I she was wearing this like awesome sweater. I'm like, oh my god, your, your sweater is amazing. And she's like, yeah, I feel like I just skinned a muppet. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's gonna be one of those interviews. Okay, I was doing my outro. Everybody, Sorry. go see this film, vif.org. All the details are there. Um, the Why Bear Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me. Sabrina Ferminger, I am the only one to blame. And it is edited by Simon Ferminger. Special thanks to Mariana Ferminger for recording our Patreon ad, and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Ferminger for technical support. Yes, we are a family business. And to Dane Develay for the original music. Why We Are Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic and terrifying film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. 
These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.